Hello, NPC, and happy 4th of July weekend. I imagine your 4th, like mine, was a little bit quieter than usual. But hopefully we all had a chance to ponder the many blessings of living in this country, our freedom to worship, not the least of them. Whatever its problems and faults, we can all be thankful to live in a land that's founded upon the idea that all people are created equal and carry with them a God-given right to life and liberty. Let us pray that those principles will be forever preserved and valued. But now as we approach the proclamation of God's word, let us pray. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding, that being taught by, by you in Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to receive all that leads to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Can we human beings really change? Can we actually live a radically different life than we've lived heretofore and become a different kind of person? Or are we doomed to remain as we are, slaves to the habits and attitudes and patterns of life we've established in the past? I mean, what do you think? Can we really change or must we, we, must we believe the old adage about uh, us being like the leopard that can't change its spots? You know, what we are or what we have been is what we always will be. Well, I sense a growing pessimism concerning ourselves and other people that, that wants to believe that old adage, believing that the past is the only measure of the future. You know, like once a thief, always a thief, or once a scoundrel, always a scoundrel, once a cheat, always a cheat. Many of us simply no longer believe that we or others could become anything different from what we have been or are now. I mean, how often do we give up hope on someone saying, he'll never change, that's just the way he is. Or we say of ourselves, life will never be different for me, I'll always be this way. And it's easy to give in to despair and to hopelessness. But if we don't believe human change is possible, we'll give up on efforts toward personal growth and positive character change, and we'll consciously or unconsciously pour scorn on the efforts of others to better themselves. To a large degree, we are conditioned by the world around us and by our negative patterns of thought to think so pessimistically. A world-famous traveler and animal photographer told of watching elephants being trained. When the elephant calf is old enough to begin his education, his trainers attach a heavy chain to one of his front legs, and the other end of the chain is wrapped around a large tree. And the frightened, angry animal struggles and strains and pulls and fights to free himself to return to the herd. After many days of effort, he finally gives up and no longer tries to escape. From then on, the elephant is conditioned to believe that any stationary object on the other end of his leg chain is immovable. Well, this explains how circus elephants can be tethered to small stakes in the ground. They could easily pull up the stakes and be free, but they're mentally shackled to the giant trees that were on the other end of their first leg chains. So we too are conditioned, shackled, if you will, by our world, our problems, our circumstances to think we will never be any, any better. We are led to believe that our personality and character are fixed. That will never be different than we are. But we don't need to live this way. It's simply not true that you and I cannot change. We forget the immense power of God's love to change lives for the better. The original disciples of Jesus, except for Judas, who we'll deal with later, became different people for having walked with the Lord. The Apostle John is an excellent example of one whose life was so transformed. 
Of the 12 disciples, there were three that formed an inner relational circle around Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And of these three, the closest to Jesus may well have been John. John was the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. He was involved in the family fishing trade, and it was while he was mending nets that Jesus called him to be a disciple. We believe him to be the youngest of the disciples, and from his writings we might conclude that he had the best mind. But he was always there. He sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He was at his trial. He was present at the crucifixion, perhaps the only disciple present. He was entrusted with the care of Jesus' mother, the most supreme compliment that Jesus could pay him. He wrote the Gospel of John, the three letters that bear his name, and in a cave on the island of Patmos, wrote the letter of Revelation. Like Peter, John was far from perfect. He seemed to have one outstanding character flaw. He had a terrible temper, or at least that's the strong inference that we could make from the nickname given to him by Jesus, Son of Thunder. And from what we read about him in the Gospels, it seems that he was indeed given to violent, explosive outbursts of anger. Reading from the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. The direct route from Galilee to Jerusalem went through Samaria, and of course, Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans and vice versa. Two peoples hated each other with a passion. But Jesus nevertheless hoped to find lodging and sent messengers to make the arrangements. And when the Samaritans, not unsurprisingly, refused to throw out the welcome mat, and when John heard about it, he may well have reacted vehemently and violently, no doubt erupting with a few choice Aramaic cuss words while shaking the Samaritan dust off his feet. Lord, rain down fire and brimstone upon them and wipe them off the face of the earth. John was echoing an angry Jonah in the Old Testament who refused to preach to the pagan Ninevites for fear that they might actually repent and be saved. There is such a thing as righteous anger directed against evil and the terrible things people do to one another, but, but anger that comes out of an arrogant, intolerant, self-righteous spirit that would simply write people off as those who are unworthy of God's care or consideration as something else again. And Jesus would have none of it and told John and James so. That same angry intolerance and judgmentalism in John surfaced in another incident. It seems that a, that a man was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. He wasn't actually part of their company, and, and John had therefore forbidden him to carry on the healing work he was doing. I guess you could say it's, it's kind of like forbidding the Methodists and the Lutherans from doing their work of ministry because they weren't Presbyterians. But John was being narrow and exclusive and tried to, to limit uh, the work of God. He figured that God could only work through his own little group. And, but of course, God's so much bigger than that. He can work in all kinds of ways. And, and in his reply to John, Jesus said, Don't stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. So that was John, hot-tempered, prejudiced, and intolerant. The Gospels don't paint the most flattering picture of him, at least as a first impression. 
And you wonder why Jesus would pick such a person to follow him to begin with. But remember, it wasn't perfect people he was after, but people willing to learn and grow and change. And the amazing thing is that John did change. He changed dramatically over the course of time. Believe it or not, this angry, intolerant man became the preeminent apostle of love. His temper was turned to tenderness. It's the same man who later on wrote three beautiful letters to encourage his fellow believers. His first letter highlights God's love and the love we are to have one another. Reading from the fourth chapter of 1 John. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Such simple, beautiful words. And he writes with such gentleness. Could this be the same guy who wanted to call down fire and brimstone upon the Samaritans? What changed him? Well, I can tell you that it didn't happen overnight. A concern for others apparently didn't come naturally to John, but little by little, as he listened to the master teacher, as he watched him interact with others and minister to their needs, as he spent time in his presence, he became more like his teacher, more patient, more understanding, more loving. Remember, Jesus said, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Turned out that John was a pretty good student. Over time, one could tell that he had been with Jesus. I read about a man named Harry Hahn who was an impersonator of Abraham Lincoln and he had acted like Abraham Lincoln so long, for so long that he even began to look like Lincoln. He lived in Mount Pulaski, Illinois, not far from Springfield, where Lincoln lived. Years ago, they had a centennial in Mount Pulaski, and all the men were asked to grow beards. Well, Harry Hahn, who was six feet four inches tall, weighed 180 pounds, discovered that when he grew his beard, beard he looked just like Abraham Lincoln. He was the same size, he had the same lines in his face, and pretty soon people were saying, hey, here comes Abe Lincoln. And that inspired Harry Hahn to buy a long coat and a top hat and some 19th century looking boots and to start making appearances as Abe Lincoln at fairs, school assemblies, and service clubs. And when he was out in public, Harry Hahn was especially conscious of who he was supposed to be. He had put on Abraham Lincoln. He wanted to be more and more like him. He said he tried to be dignified and kind and human. He tried to be humble. People in Springfield said he even, he's even beginning to walk like Abraham Lincoln. Well, John began to act more and more like Jesus. He studied his words, observed his example, and the spirit of love began to grow in him as he walked with the Lord and experienced his love firsthand. Now, Jesus loved everyone, but he seemed to have a special love for John. The Gospel of John mentions a disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple's not identified, 
but is believed to have been John himself, the beloved disciple. And as John experienced that special love the Lord had for him, his personality began to change and in the end was transformed as he continued to walk with the risen Christ down through the years. That experience of being loved and accepted by Jesus was so powerful to John, he realized he had to begin to share that love with others. And so this angry, intolerant man became the apostle of love. Each of us would like to change. We would all like to be more loving. I imagine we're all aware of some rough edges of our personality that need to be smoothed out. Perhaps we're like John and have a temper that needs taming. Maybe we hope to be more patient, more understanding of others. Perhaps we would like to eradicate some prejudices and attitudes and, and impulses within us that we know are not becoming of a follower of Jesus. But the good news is that everything that is unhealthy, unhelpful, destructive, hateful in us can be worked out of us, transformed by the living Christ. We really can change. How? Well, by walking with him day by day as we listen to his word in scripture, as we lean on him in prayer, as we intentionally try to serve him in all ways. We change by getting close to him and opening ourselves up to his love by allowing our spirit to cooperate with his spirit, the spirit who would dwell more fully within. The more we experience the presence of God in our lives, the more we experience his love for us, the more we become like him, and the more loving we become. And if he can turn the son of thunder into the apostle of love, he can certainly change you and me. He can make us more like himself. Well, now let me tell you what happened to the disciple John after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's uh, said that John was faithful to the trust which Jesus gave to him when he committed his mother Mary to his charge. He treated her as his own mother until she died. John lived in Ephesus where he became a recognized and revered leader. Consistent tradition says that he was, uh, in a time of persecution, banished to the prison island of Patmos during the reign of the ruthless emperor Domitian. And later he went back to Ephesus where he died. In fact, if you go to Ephesus today, you can visit his burial place. St. Jerome, the, the foremost early church scholar, says this about John. He says that John apparently lived to a great age. He was about 20 years of age when he became a disciple of Jesus, may have been past 90 when he died. He is said to be the only apostle who died a peaceful, natural death, died about the year 100. As he grew older, he was carried into church in Ephesus where he lived. And Jerome says that he sat there with the light of another world on his face. At the end of the, of the worship service, the minister would ask him to say a word of benediction, and he would rise slowly, look down upon them with a benign smile, and say, little children, love one another. Always he said that. Well, a friend asked him why he always said the same thing, and John replied, because there's nothing more to be said. It is the final word. If we love one another, that is everything. 
In the end, John had forgotten everything except his Lord's command to love. What Christ did for John, he can do for you and me. God can take us as we are and change us by his love made manifest in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need more than anything else, because for us also, there is nothing else. Just love. God's love for you and me in Christ. Our love for God and our love for one another. Lord, make us more like you. Amen.